Veni, Veni, Venias, and welcome to our podcast. The Weird Sisters, hand in hand, posters of the sea and land, thus to go about, about. Thrice to thine, and thrice to mine, and thrice again to make up nine. Peace, the charms wound up. Welcome to Ask a Medievalist. I'm Em, and joining me tonight, as always, is Dr. Jesse Noose. Hello! It's spooky season, and we are going to be talking about witches. Yay! I think everybody's perennial favorite in terms of uh, medieval, sort of late medieval topics, because you get women who strongly relate to uh, the persecution of women as witches. Uh, you get mm-hmm. witches, modern witches, who strongly relate to the persecution of non-modern witches. Um you get people who just like cats or broom yeah. enthusiasts. I don't know. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> we get the lovers witches of coming cauldrons. back in Macbeth. Yes, cauldron lovers. Um, yeah. So, you know, tonight we're going to talk about all of this and how witchcraft was seen in the Middle Ages and uh, where it where it goes. Yes. Um, I should say, in this episode, we're going to mostly stick with Europe, because obviously it's such a huge, huge, huge subject that we could kind of go culture by culture. Um, But we are, this is our Halloween episode, so of course we're really thinking about, like, the Halloween witches that we see with, like, the pointy black hat and the broom and the cauldron. Uh, Where do they come from? And the answer is mostly Europe. (laughs) So that's where we're going with this one. Um. But yeah, it's actually great to point out. So Macbeth's witches, of course, who are incredibly famous, um, are in some ways that people have sometimes pointed out, not exactly witches, right? So we are defining witch for the purposes of this episode as a mortal. <laughs> so someone who is mortal, mortal, uh, that is, you know, not someone who is immortal or supernatural, Someone who wields supernatural power, potentially, for example, demonic power, but someone who is personally a human being. This means that the witches in Macbeth, of course, are not that. Um, they are specifically, they're the weird sisters. Weird means fate. Um, and they're clearly oh. kind of a reference to the three fates, right? Um, oh, and no. they are clearly somewhat supernatural, right? So they, you know, with, they do count as witches in a sense, of course. Um, but in other ways, they are not exactly witches. Shakespeare does have real witches in the sense of mortal witches in his plays as well. They show up. But the ones in Macbeth really are supernatural as oh, far as we can well. tell. Right. So um, in my defense, the three witches in Macbeth later become the three witches in Terry Pratchett, who are definitely mortal. Yes. Yes. Um I just don't and, have any Terry Pratchett quotes in front of me. So <laughs> No. Well that is fine. I will say that actually though they also show up in Sandman. In the yes. game of Sandman, where they are definitely immortal. Right? And he mm-hmm. he in fact does they're the this trio of women and they are the, three he, different ages. The maiden, mother and crone, and he identifies yes. them with the Norns but also with the Greek fates. Yes. Um, and also with the three graces, I think. 
Yeah. So oh, you know, and Hecate, he, who herself is sort of a triumvate goddess. Yes. yes. Triple Hecate, which Shakespeare. Yes, it's Hecate. Shakespeare's Hecate does not have three syllables. <laughs> Traditionally, yes. she does, but Shakespeare's Hecate is just Hecate, and um, she uh, she is referred to right as the triple Hecate. Shakespeare definitely refers to her as well. So yes. um, there's a great sense of what it, witches frequently are just seen as people who wield power, supernatural power. Um, but for purposes of this, we're going to look at people who are mortal. Um, but, you know, that doesn't mean that people who are immortal don't necessarily deserve the term. It's just a reminder that there is a distinction. Mm -hmm. So Shakespeare's witches are definitely immortal, pretty clearly. They are connected to the fates. They do in that way fit in perfectly with Neil Gaiman's take on them, where he very clearly associates all these ideas that are related he just makes the one person. And you sort of come back to that um, idea, kind of Joseph Campbell idea, right? Or the golden bough, that that somehow there's this one kernel of thing that happened, and then as humans split off, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> into different cultures over the past 250,000 years, they carried these sort of initial grains of ideas with them and turned them into different things, right? Right. Um, so, you know, these three women... Yes, the maiden, the matron, and the crone, um, that they sort of exist in different ways in different cultures, and yeah, the Norns, the Fates, etc., right? So that he kind of combines them in ways that are brilliant, and of course, not entirely untrue. I mean, um, cultures swap ideas all the time, mm -hmm. right? Where people travel from one place to another and take their ideas with them. So a lot of these ideas are related. Yeah. <laughs> or sometimes um, you get one event that's recorded in a bunch of different cultures that happen to be living in the same place, right? Which yes. is why you get so many flood myths. Yes. Yeah, right. Um, it's interpolated into Gilgamesh. Um, and we also get um, some earlier ones, like Atrahasis is kind of the... You know, when people frequently say okay, the original Noah myth again, mm -hmm. but yeah, that flood myth that then, of course, is also in the Bible with Noah. Yeah. Um, so in this case, witches, um, it is worth pointing out that we talked in episode nine. So this is a long time ago, kind of near the beginning um, about heretics. Um, and so that was very much about which witchcraft is heresy and Witches getting burned as heretics, right? You, you burn heretics, witchcraft is a form of heresy. Eventually, that becomes the main form of heresy that people are getting burnt for. Right. <laughs> and by eventually, I mean in the early modern period and later, right? Um, but that's... So there is this connection with witchcraft and heresy, um, obviously because of sort of supernatural demonic forces. So the assumption of, you know, mortal humans wielding not just powers that they shouldn't be, but specifically kind of demonic powers. Um, so that, therefore, we get heresy, heretics get burnt at the stake, <laughs> um, yes. and therefore witches get burnt at the stake. So we talked about that. We talked about the Inquisition in Episode 9. Um, this is going to be more of a look at... We're going to talk a little bit about certain cases, maybe, but this is going to be a little more of a look, again, at the um, kind of folklore and the superstitions that we have now... And where did they come from? Right. Um, so this also brings us to the fact that, for example, um, 
witches don't have to be female. So we're going to run into some instances of male witches. Mm -hmm. That, of course, becomes less common. And eventually, women are frequently associated with witchcraft. Um, and eventually, that will become the primary association. That women are witches and men are something else, like wizards <laughs> or sorcerers. Yeah. Um, People never quite know what word to use now, like wizard, uh, right. warlock. Right. I don't know. I don't... Uh, fantasy literature, which I would... I mean, it's not the end-all, be-all of <laughs> what things are called, seems to struggle with it. Is. Yeah. Well, different people have different terms. Right? Yeah. So, like, Pratchett, speaking of, of course, uh, men are wizards, women are witches. He actually does sp specify that. There's um, one female wizard. And yes. one book kind of about a sorcerer. Commentary. Yeah. 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 Well, sorcery, then, yes, is a little bit different from the wizards. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he draws a line there. Um, we tend to use sorcerers to mean more powerful magic wielders. Um and possibly a different type of magic as well. Mm -hmm. um, that can be a distinction. It doesn't have to be, but it can be. Um, you're right. Witches and warlocks frequently go together. Men is witches. Uh, men is warlocks. Women is witches. But wizards can also be sort of interchangeable there as well. Um, the I world's Harry Potter. Yeah, you get wizards and witches. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it does depend, but men, yeah, there's not the same dominant sense for men, even to the point that there was a time when they could be seen as witches. Mm -hmm. Um, but <laughs> for women, um, yeah, women are generally witches. Um, worth pointing out, however, that, um, that's one side. Another side is the sense of which witchcraft is seen as evil automatically, which, of course, is never completely true. Um, and this is also really important, actually, because I think the assumption is somehow that good witches are maybe sort of a modern idea, or at least as far as the West is concerned and Europe are sort of a modern idea. Um, mm -hmm. And that is not necessarily true. Um, so, for example... Um, in the Bible, <laughs> there's the there's a woman there's a woman known as the Witch of Endor. Um, the and, forest moon. Yes, in fact. <laughs> okay. I mean, I assume that that is where he got it. Yeah. I don't okay. know. I'm guessing. Anyway, I mean, it wouldn't yeah. be the first time he took a word from somewhere else and tried to pass it off as something exotic. <clears throat> cough, cough, Darth Vader. Yes. Well, you know. Um, but yeah, it's a... <laughs> yeah, okay. It, you know, and it's a great word. It does sound... It does. Um, sort of fun. But it's also a fun way kind of of honoring her, honestly. Um, so she... Because, you know, um, she isn't evil. Uh, she... And this is actually important. I mean, because she's in the Bible, which is iffy when it comes to witchcraft, for sure. Um it's one of the intriguing things that witchcraft is not necessarily looked highly upon in either the Old Testament or the New Testament, but eventually, this is something we've talked about before, um, Jews will be very closely connected to witchcraft and the practice of magic. It becomes one of the stereotypes that we frequently don't think about 
Uh, we'll come back to that a little bit in a sec. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is generally not necessarily looked highly upon. Um, and so in this instance, this is in the book of Samuel, First uh, Samuel uh, okay. 28. Um, so, yeah, so First Samuel 28. Saul um, is having trouble. Samuel has died. The Philist- This is his book, of course, but he's dead. Um, he just died, and the Philistines are surrounding, you know, everyone for battle. Um, and so Saul's going to have to go up against them, and he's nervous, and no one can give him advice. I mean, he's gone to the prophets and who, who are still alive. The prophets who are still alive, you know, whoever else he's gone to, nobody can help him. Um, none of the usual prophecy stuff is working. Um, and he's thrown out all the witches, or all the practitioners of magic, mediums, stuff like that, right? He's thrown them all out. Because you're not supposed to be practicing this stuff. But now he needs help. <laughs> so he disguises himself and goes to this last woman that people know about um, and asks her for help, sort of raising Samuel's ghost, essentially. Um, and she does. Um, it's, you know, sort of great. But yeah, she does. She helps him out. Um, and the ghost of Samuel's like, you know, I prophesied that you were going to die in battle and that your time had come. And here it is. Like, that's why nobody can help you. <laughs> Your time's up. Oops. Um, it's David's, it's David's turn now. Um, yeah. and so, anyway, so Saul is like horribly upset, and the witch is like, well, you know, why don't you eat something before you go? <laughs> <laughs> and so she feeds him, and then he goes off on his way and, you know, dies in battle and everything else. But anyway, um, yeah, so she actually is not saying it's evil. There's a specific sort of point made that, you know, Saul has thrown everyone out. Because you're not supposed to be doing this, and yet she does help him out. And um, and not just with the ghost raising, but, you know, also feeds him and stuff. So that's nice. Um, that's very but anyway. Jewish grandmother behavior. I must yes, say exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. But yeah, so the witch, so there's this weird way in which, right, she, she is a witch, right? She's a mortal person who clearly uses magic. She's sort of a medium, I guess we would say today, which is a specific, right, person, people who talk to ghosts, spirits. Um, and it does seem, it's funny, because she raises him, and she can see him and talk to him, but it does not seem that Saul ever sees the spirit. Hmm. So, um, anyway. And there's sort of explanations about she could do it because he'd only just died, that, you know, she wouldn't have been able to do it if it had been any longer, because your spirit, like, moves on. Anyway. Um, there's sort of justifications for how she could do it, presumably partly because she's not clearly evil. So it's not supposed to seem evil, what she did. Okay. Um, but that is very important, right? So she's she's not seen as evil. Um, so we could fast forward um, in British folklore. <laughs> you get people like, famously, um, who we'll probably cover in a future episode somewhere, Morgan Le Fay, um, whose name basically means like Morgan the Witch. She's not a fairy. She is a witch. She's really okay. a sorcerer. I mean, she's super powerful if we want to look at sorcerers as being somehow supposedly more powerful. Um, now, the interesting thing here is that she's not necessarily seen as evil, but she and her sisters are all students of Merlin, who is a magician, <laughs> an enchanter, whatever you want to call him. He is possibly also the son of the devil. Right. Not entirely clear. Right. You know, it depends on the version, basically. So he is sometimes the son of the devil, and sometimes not. But <laughs> he is sometimes the son of the devil. So that means that... There is a sense him teaching Morgan and her sisters magic. They're not necessarily wielding demonic power, but they're 
not not wielding demonic power. Right? Right. Because <laughs> they're learning it from this guy who might not have had all this. He sort of turns his back on his dad and becomes good or allows himself to be used for good. But at the same time, like, he probably wouldn't have had all this power if he potentially, if we're working with one of the versions where he's the son of the devil, you know, he might not have had all that power otherwise. So Morgan and her sisters do kind of get trained in this way. Um, the sisters aren't necessarily evil at all. Like, the sisters could be seen even mostly as good. Um, and that goes even more gays is one of the sisters. She's the wife of King Lot of Orkney. And she has some famous, famous sons. Um, the, <laughs> the big problem here is that Morgan and her sisters, including Morgays, are all half-sisters of Arthur, who will be King Arthur. And is eventually King Arthur. I mean, half so they're his half-sisters. Um, through his dad, right? Because his dad was the king yeah. and kind of got around. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and somehow, you know, in fairy tales like this, or whatever, origin stories like this, women, mothers frequently die and men continue to have kids. Yes. Right? Fair. <laughs> so, um, yeah. But, uh, so they're half-sisters, and um, <laughs> there is this sort of interesting scene in various tales where Morgays and Arthur don't know who the other one is. They So they don't know they're related, I guess I should say. They don't know they're related. They sleep together. And the product of that union is Mordred, who, of course, will end up kind of taking down the, the throne. Right? He causes the fall of Camelot. Um, but that is not supposed to be Morgays' fault. Like, they're not supposed to have known who each other were. Also, in some instances, that's actually not how it works out. Like, Mordred really is the son of King Lot of Orkney, but just um, ends up, yeah, taking down Camelot anyway, because he's kind of evil. Now, some of that tends to be seen as having been uh, kind of orchestrated by Morgan, um, but in ways that are definitely manipulative and political, but not something more evil than anyone else is. I mean, this is politics, right? <laughs> so there are a lot of people who are kind of shady, but... Potentially even evil, but not sort of the evil that we think of witches, right? Right. Um, she's just manipulating power. And while usually when women do that, they are seen as evil, she isn't ever quite, right? She is kind of the antagonist in a lot of these stories. She certainly tends to be against Arthur. But she isn't necessarily viewed as sort of straight up evil, which is really, really important. Um, and Morgays herself is not seen as evil, uh, she has some famous, famous sons. Um, Gawain, particularly, who's super hero. <laughs> awesome. He gets his um, own book. He gets yes, his own he gets movie. His, yes. He's a big his own shot movie now. with Dev Patel. Yes. Now he's very important. Um, but yeah, he's great. He's a hero. He's awesome. He's got some great stories. Um, so, and there are a number of other heroes, right? All these Knights of the Round Table who are her sons. Um, she does end up, you know, after her husband dies, there's the guy she sleeps with her sons don't like for various reasons, and one of them kills her. Um, and that isn't necessarily seen as terrible, but not necessarily as good, right? So it is sort of ambiguous. She isn't necessarily ever supposed to be seen as totally evil. Um, the view of a lot of these women as evil comes much, much later. So there are more recent instances of you know, like modern, like in the 18, 1900s, right? Of Morgan and her sisters potentially being seen kind of as these evil witches, basically. Mm -hmm. um, 
but that's modern. So that's not necessarily that's not necessarily how they were seen at the time. Um, and the same goes for the Lady of the Lake, who ends up kind of imprisoning Merlin. Um, similarly, she is also a student of his, also therefore a tremendous magician, um, but isn't necessarily seen as evil, right? So you get all these really powerful women who are magic wielders in a world where a lot of people are, there's magic, but a lot of people are not magic wielders. A lot of the men are not magic wielders, right? Um, and yet these women who are so powerful, who are students of Merlin, uh, and very much his equal and sometimes his superior, Lady Lake, even maybe Morgan, um, they're not necessarily seen as evil, and there are plenty of times they show up in stories where they are heroes, potentially, or at least, you know, on the side of good. So they're, they're much more ambiguous. Um, also worth pointing out that they don't necessarily wear pointy hats, or have cauldrons, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, or they aren't old and ugly. So back to Neil Gaiman and the crone idea. The crone is very much how we think of witches, mm-hmm. right? Um, the sort of stereotypes, right? That a woman who's young and beautiful is a chaste, innocent, pure, good person. And the old crone is the dangerous witch, right? Um, and that is also not what we get here, for sure. So I think I have, I admit to not having watched any of Game of Thrones or read the books, but I think we get a shout out here to the famous enchantress character in Game of Thrones who is beautiful, but then we realize it's an enchantment, right? She does a famous episode that I did not see, but I watched the scene where this happens, um, where she, like, you know, takes off her charm, and oh. we realize that she's, in fact, like, this haggard crone who's staying alive just so she can, like, finish her business on Earth. Um, not necessarily that she's super evil or anything, but that idea of the crone, right? That that's what tells us, that somehow that tells us how powerful she is, right? The fact that she has to enchant herself to be young and beautiful, Mm -hmm. but actually she isn't, tells us she's kind of, in quotes, a real witch. Right? (laughs) Um, So that stereotype of the sort of the haggard old woman. Um, Also, if there are musical theater people out there, um, Into the Woods, the witch, similarly. Mm -hmm. She's sort of decrepit, and then she, you know, turns young. Anyway. um, Whereas in Wicked, you get um, one witch who's green. Yes. And... You know, therefore, sort of marked, and and the other witch is beautiful and blonde and right, young. Yeah, I guess yes. I mean like you know they're both young, but anyway, mm-hmm. I feel like we can't talk yeah. about musical theater witches without mentioning Wicked. So, right. Well, and that's of course from the Wizard of Oz because she's yeah. green. Yeah. Um, but as I recall, um, I think part of it had you know. There are a few reasons why green. Um, but in this instance, also, I think because of the way the makeup would read in Technicolor for The Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. Ah. <laughs> um, that that was a kind of important aspect of it. Right? Yeah. Um, so that there was something, you know, sort of specifically about that. Um, yeah. Anyway, so, so in this way, right, we get this sort of interesting sense, you know, which is didn't necessarily um, have the same... They weren't necessarily thought of as being a different color physically. Mm-hmm. Um, there are certain things that are connected to witches or certain sort of, you know, places, certain... Um, but after this, of course, the Green Witch becomes... Right. I mean, the Wizard of Oz is right. what really did it for modern America. Right. Right. Um, so that is, you know, yeah. 
that's that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's where it comes on. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, but I think that had a lot to do with the technicolor of the film. Um, and so that's, that's a little bit of a happenstance. So they chose, they chose green because it would look good. It would look good. And then that has yes. sort of launched our understanding of witches, green witches. as green yeah. and, you know, evil and. Yes. Yeah. And green, of course, like as a color is associated with evil. Um, mm-hmm. You think of like poisons or like yeah. dark water, you know. Um, but she could also potentially have been like red, right? Or something. Um, mm-hmm. Demonic. And I think the idea was that that wouldn't read as well. Yeah, green is so makes clearly, it's, it stands out so well. It's so clearly a non-human color, right? Yeah. <laughs> In a way, I think, I wonder if, I don't know if like maybe they were worried that red or something like that would, you know, might start to read more like sunburned, right? It just wouldn't read the same way. Yeah. You know, Technicolors, which of course they're, I mean, the green reads brilliantly. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so so that's kind of where our green came from for witches. <laughs> Fascinating. Um, yeah. Uh, but so here we are, right? The evil. So it's the green. Um, it is worth pointing out that not all, so not all witches really were evil, right? So the idea of the modern witch who isn't evil isn't modern, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it definitely existed in the past. Like plenty of witches weren't evil. Um, it's also worth pointing, of course, you know, the word witch um, is old Germanic, essentially. It, we did we did get it from sort of Germanic, um, so it's a Germanic word, um, and you know it sort of was connected the way we use it, right? We use it witchcraft, someone who practices witchcraft, um, magic. But yeah, our sort of modern sense of it being specifically evil or specifically female, all these things sort of happen a little bit later. Um, all right, so let's see what else do we have? Well. Aside from the green, she does dress like a witch. She's got the pointy hat. She's got the broom. Right? Yes. Um, so, <laughs> this is another callback. The Let's start with the hat. Pointy hat. Um, Alright, so, we're gonna start with a callback to another episode that we did. This is the end, it's at the end of episode 10 on iconography. Is this, is this the Jewish hats? Yes. Yes. The Juden hat. The Jewish hat. You didn't. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so basically, we sort of talked about Jewish stereotypes. And it's worth pointing out, as I said, that despite the fact that of this kind of magic, more or less prohibition in the Bible, that Jews become associated with magic, sorcery, wizardry. Mm-hmm. The depiction of the Jewish wizard, this becomes a stereotype in the Middle Ages, right? So we talked about it a little bit then. Um Jews and Hebrew was thought of to be also sort of a magical language. So Jews were thought to be, you know, associated with magic and Hebrew becomes associated with magic. Um, much the way we kind of use Latin today, interestingly. Um, obviously, there's some weird things about that because Latin is also the language of the church, but not entirely right. today. We also see it as a pagan language. In the Middle Ages, obviously, it was seen much, it was the language of the church. The idea that it had been a pagan, pagan language was a little bit less <laughs> thought of. This was not the point. The point was it was a religious language. Yes. It was the religious language. Um, and so you needed a, right, so that was not the language to be conjuring things in, right? Hebrew 
was the language of those who might conjure and use power that they shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Right. So the connection of Judaism and Hebrew. Um, and so you would see, we talked a little bit about like the Lucerne passion play where the costume designer, who was also the producer and the director, um, put like sort of Hebrew letters or probably, you know, like whatever he thought looked like Hebrew letters um, all over the costumes of like some of the male Jewish characters in the synagogue, which is kind of this beginning in some ways of what we kind of think of wizard's robes as being covered in like symbols or something. Right. So, yes. so there is this interesting connection. The pointy hat, we're, I'm going to summarize this quick. People can go look at that or listen to that part, but the pointy hat originates kind of in Persia where it was not pointy. It was a sort of floppy hat and people genuinely wore it. <laughs> um, and the, the Magi who come visit, of course, the baby Jesus, the wise men, they are thought of as sort of Mid-Eastern, Middle Eastern um, magicians. This is how they get their name, right? They they were astrologers. Mm-hmm. They looked at the stars and they're like, ah, this important thing is happening in this place. So they follow it, right? That's why the whole star over Bethlehem thing is important. Um, and so they show up. <laughs> uh, and in a lot of depictions of the Middle Ages, they're wearing this hat, right, to demonstrate that they sort of come from the East, Right, which is seen already in sort of this modern stereotype of this, you know, language with power and mysticism and stuff. Um, so eventually, the hat of the Magi is kind of transferred to Jews because of this association with ideas of magic and such. Um, and even though Jews at the time weren't necessarily wearing hats at all, despite the fact like you are supposed to in the Bible, but a lot of you know assimilation, so people weren't necessarily wearing hats at all. Right. But it becomes the stereotype in, you know. In illustrations. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, this is all Sarah Lipton, The Dark Mirror, the medieval origins of anti-Jewish iconography. Um, and she actually points out <laughs> at the very end of her book, at the conclusion, um, that the stereotypes about Jews basically do herald in stereotypes about witches. Mm. Um, and she says, uh, quote, when the visual attributes associated with Jewish men... Hooked nose, dark hair, pointed hats, even beards and cats, appeared on or with women in post-medieval art. The women were as liable to be witches as Jewish. Wait, um, cats are also associated with Jews at this point. Yes, which is really weird because you think of dogs more as being associated with Jews, but not here. Nope, cats. Okay. Um, and again, this goes, we had whole episodes, right? On mm-hmm. cats and dogs, in fact. Yeah. Um, and so this is, I think they are, were Jews um, tw- just more likely to 30, keep I think. pets? Well, no, not as a, the idea here is cats, as we said, episodes of 29 and 30, where I think the cats and dogs episodes, yeah. um, that, um, cats were beloved, certainly, right? Anchoresses had cats to keep away mice and so on. I mean, cats were much beloved. And there are poems to cats. We read some early medieval mm-hmm. poems to cats. And cats walking across manuscripts and leaving their little paw prints because they're bousers, right? They're very necessary. But at the same time, they were potentially connected a little bit to things like the devil. Um, the, so we had the discussion of the fact of Cathars, who are heretics, being potentially thought of as um, having gained their name because of, like, cats. <laughs> of cats and Cathars being kind yes. of related. Um 
And so, yeah, right? There's this really weird um, aspect of cats as having this slightly more demonic sensibility, right? And it does mm. have something to do with the fact, although they're necessary to do all this great work, they catch mice, um, that there is also the sense they're maybe disloyal, they don't listen to you, you know, all the <laughs> things we think of as cats, right? Right. <laughs> and okay. I think we quote Hildegard having some stuff on animals, where she's like, dogs are loyal and all this other stuff, and cats are not, right? Um, and enough. so, yeah, right. Uh, and dogs, you know, dogs, on the other hand, there are even a couple dogs who are kind of looked at almost as saints, right? They're, they had little mm-hmm. shrines because they had saved people. Um, cats do not generally get that. <laughs> right. <laughs> In the same way, right? Mm. Yeah, which is sad. It feels right? unjust. I mean, it does. They were worshipped in Egypt. Should put that out. I mean, certainly th- yes. highly thought of in Egypt. Um, as were dogs, of course. I mean, both, both. But um, people forget Anubis, right, is a dog-headed. Um, but anyway, uh, jackals, yes, but dogs. Anyways, so, um, yeah, cats, so cats do have this slightly suspicious, ambiguous sensibility about them. Yeah. And that is why you would attach them to, for example, Jews, because that's that same idea, right? They could similarly be really useful. They're necessary for banking and, you know, commerce and stuff like this and the education and if you need someone to translate the Hebrew, um, but also that they're potentially dangerous, right? Kind of the devil within. Mm-hmm. So, but it's, it is this really interesting commentary, right? That, um, these stereotypes, because one of the whole points Lipton makes is that women, Jewish women don't have the same iconography. Mm-hmm. They sort of blend into the crowd. Um, and that that starts to change after the Middle Ages, that starts to change. So women who are Jewish also start to get some of these attributes that had previously only been attributed to men. Mm-hmm. But that it, instead of necessarily having it mean that they're Jewish, it can actually mean that they're witches. (laughs) Um, And that, you know, the, yeah, the hook knows, which of course we all know, right? That that comes from Jewish stereotypes, um, but also potentially the the pointy hat. Um, Interestingly, this pointy hat um, was also worn by hangmen, which is interesting, um, a sort of commentary on punishment, Right. Um, and Hangman sort of marked out as the one who gave the punishment. So they wore pointy hats. Um, and heretics were could there, occasionally. Hmm? Could there be an association with the fact that Hangman got to keep the clothing of the people that they hung? Maybe. Or something? Yeah. I mean, the point is in both cases that there is a kind of obvious association between the Hangman and the criminal. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, uh, it doesn't mean he's necessarily actually wearing the, the hat of someone that he hung, but although he might be, <laughs> but that that is a way to mark him in the same way that criminals are marked. Um, and so heretics, um, including apparently Joan of Arc, this is a citation also from Lipton, um, were required to wear the pointy hat when they were sort of paraded through the streets. Um, and references, there are apparently a number of references to criminals wearing, in quote, miters while paraded through the streets, right? Like the bishop's miter. But of course, okay. that's a pointy hat, right? They're not really wearing, obviously, they're not wearing an actual bishop's miter. It's a way of right. describing the fact they're wearing this pointy hat, okay. right? So criminals, heretics are wearing this pointy hat generally. Mm-hmm. 
hangmen, therefore, because they are marked in the same way. Um, and it does seem to have come from this kind of stereotype about Jews. Um, so the fact, remember, heretics are, are sometimes witches. Mm-hmm. Joan of Arc was certainly accused of that, right? Um, so that's that connection. Jews are, of course, connected to the occult already in stereotypes. So the pointy hat seems to have kind of come from all of this, right? It's a kind of a confluence of ideas. Right. <laughs> um, but basically the fact that Jews had become associated with this pointy hat, um, it started to spread also, you know, people were forced to wear it if they were mm-hmm. heretics, which could mean witches, maybe just criminals in general. Um, yeah. And so that it's eventually sort of it's sort of... A transitive property of pointy headedness, basically. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I see. Yeah. And so eventually it basically gets gets around to witches specifically and kind of stays there. Mm-hmm. Much like presumably, the burning. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Yes, presumably via heretics, right? It used to be heretics were burned. Eventually it's pretty much witches. Mm-hmm. Used to be heretics also had pointy hats that they were forced to wear when they were paraded through the streets. Eventually it's just witches. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we should take this moment just to mention that... Um, Discovered in the 20th century were um, a number of mummies in um, northwestern China, in the Tarim Basin, from as early as like 1800 BCE. Oh, wow. Right? So, yeah. That's <laughs> Long very early. Yeah. Um, and they, some of them are wearing uh, conical black hats, and they have become known as the Witches of Subeshi. But that is because they were discovered in the 20th century when oh. that stereotype already existed. Right? I see. Now, it's possible that they're wearing these hats. We don't entirely know where they're from. The d- DNA stuff has been a little bit interesting. Some of them are maybe from people who end up sort of settling in China. Some of them may have been more Caucasian. There's this weird sense we don't know entirely who they are, where they're from, what their culture was. There are a lot of things we don't know. People have sort of guessed or thought like this or that might be closest. Did they come here? Were they settling? We just don't know. It's so early. We just don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people have different trade routes and different cultures. It's possible their their hats were related to stuff that was happening in the Middle East, or maybe their hats traveled to the Middle East. Like, we don't really know. So they could somehow be on a trajectory that leads to, like, the hats in Persia and then mm-hmm. to the Magi and so on. Uh, but they are not in any way directly connected it's happenstance that they are wearing hats that make them look like witches, but they have then become known as witches because that is what they look like today. <laughs> right. Um, but so that is just sort of side note. People do wear conical hats for various reasons. This is not connected to the witchy reasons, I guess is the point. Um, all right. So that's, that's the hat. <laughs> that's the pointy hat. Um, next up, I think we should talk about the major thing, which is mode of transportation. All right. Yeah. And this is going to be our our big, big thing we're going to talk about. And we'll put some other things in underneath, but basically. (laughs) Um, Brooms. All right. Brooms. Everyone knows witches ride brooms, but of course they did not always ride brooms. Yes. (laughs) Not Roombas. Right. They have not upgraded. No. I mean, vacuum cleaners are pretty heavy. A Roomba might work, depending. Roomba, Yeah. It seems, you know. Um, it is also worth pointing out, of course, that witches don't ride carpets. Mm-hmm. Pity. Anyways. Um, but yeah, 
they ride brooms. So, of course, wh- why brooms? When did brooms show up? <laughs> well, um, obviously, witches did not always ride brooms. Um, early witches didn't necessarily ride anything specific. I mean, um, if and they then of course, to you fly, do- they just sort of flew. Right. Or they um, walked. Or, yeah, or you, or you rode a horse or something. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a little bit less. Um, again, it depends sort of who we're talking about, right? Um, and then you do get sort of interesting um, folktale sorts of characters, right? Um, Babianca and her mortar and pestle, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so witches, what's, what's the deal here with witches? Well, um, there are a number of interesting possibilities. And some of the early texts that really talk about this, now we're getting into the real texts about about witchcraft. So the ones that are sort of inquisitors um, writing about witches, the search for witches, not just heretics in general, but witches specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the connection between heretics and witchcraft. So we're going to see some of that, where sort of heretics, people who are more general heretics, might nonetheless be sort of considered specifically witches. <laughs> um, all right. So one of the things that comes up is that witches ride wolves. Ooh. Yes. Okay. Um, so this is intriguing. Um, one of the sort of early texts, um, The Scourge of Witches, uh, Flagellum Maleficorum, um, written about 1462, published 1490. Mm-hmm. If you're thinking that that's not super early, you're kind of right in the sense that um, this type of inquisitor you know, witchcraft inquisitor is very late in the middle ages. Everyone thinks yeah. it's, you know, high middle. No, no, this is all very late in the middle ages. So we talked a lot about that. And I think in our heretics episode, um, I'll that say it's that not being until- on this, sh- doing this show has skewed my feeling about what is early, but yes. Yeah. I was, that's quite late. <laughs> yes. It's quite late. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, technically the middle ages kind of end in 1500, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's not until the late 1400s where you start to get all the witchcraft stuff that really happens in the 15 and 1600s. Um, and that of course follows to the U.S. Americas before they're the Americas, um, with things like Salem, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so you really don't get start to get this until the end of the middle ages, which is why it's so unfair the middle ages get such a bad rap for witches. I mean, for the treatment of witches and such, because mm-hmm. that there's plenty of stuff. There's stuff about heretics, but the whole specific sort of witch element, <laughs> hunting down women, doesn't happen really until the very end. Yeah. It's much more of an early modern type of thing. I've I've heard that James the First uh, was. Oh yeah. You know, kind. It was his fault. I mean, well, not entirely, but. You know, he was probably capitalizing on trends, but that he certainly popularized it more. Well, he was really, really into the idea of finding witches. Yeah. Yeah. He was very into it. Um, At the same time, he he did sort of really, really get into it. And then it does seem that maybe someone or he himself kind of (laughs) pulled him a little back from the brink. It was like, you know what? This, this could lead to people just turning on their neighbors and executing each other. Um, and so then he kind of pulled back and was like, you know, maybe they're yeah. not witches everywhere you look. Um, a, but he yeah. was into it. Yeah. Um, it's a there's bad a fan- situation if you want to run an orderly country, I'm going to say. Yes. Yes. You know, I mean, I think it. there's a sort of sense of, in some ways, you know, he was a kid who was like, really believed in witches. And then he kind of grew up and got to be king and 
he got a chance to like really believe in witches and then eventually, you know, realized that maybe that wasn't the best thing for his kingdom. Yeah. Um, but yes, uh, there's a fantastic, let's see, um, Doctor Who episode that is exactly about this with Alan Cumming as King James. Um, a reference to the fact that he was probably bi or possibly gay. Yeah. Oh. And, um, did Alan Cumming yes. do a version of Macbeth where he played all the roles? Yes. Okay. It all comes full circle. Yeah. It all, <laughs> I mean, he is it Scottish. Yes. yes, Alan Cumming is Scottish, as was James, of course. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, who better to play him? I think it was a brilliant portrayal. It was wonderful fun. I recommend the episode. Um, the but Doctor yes. Who episode was called The Witchfinders. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's very kind of okay. Terry Pratchett-esque, although definitely it was not written by, but an homage to Terry Pratchett as well in many ways. Um, but yes, and and honestly, you know, I like to think King James loved theater. Mm-hmm. So I really feel he would have been super pleased with the fact that Alan Cumming portrayed him. Anyway. Um, <laughs> and of course, we have him to thank King James for Macbeth. Yeah. Right? The king who loved That's, witches and was Scottish yeah. became king, and Shakespeare was like, "Well, here it is." <laughs> yeah, yep. So we're glad, we're glad, right? He he traced his line back to Banquo. So that thing about Banquo's descendants will be king. You know, at the end, they probably held up a mirror at the end of sort of that lineage uh-huh. that the witches bring out or the witches' familiars bring out. You know, so that he can reflect. See himself. Nice. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, it's a sort of it's a great moment, but. Also, yes, James was super into it. Um, and that is the time period, right? <laughs> he is in the right time period to be into it. Um, so this book, um, this is uh, Petrus Memoris. And um, he writes The Scourge of Witches, as I said, 1462, published in 1490. Right. So remember, we're living in a time when you write something in a manuscript and then to be published means what it means today. Like, It'll be it printed and distributed by someone. Yeah. Yeah. But of course, that's a much... <laughs> setting at this Yes, point. it's a much bigger deal. It's only just started happening, right? So right. obviously, the publication date and the written date are not necessarily going to be the same date the way they are today. Um, okay, so, yeah. So he writes The Scourge of Witches, um, and he mentions a few interesting things. One of them, that like an ointment, an unguent, is used to fly. Um, so that you... Like tiger balm or something? Or whatever, yeah. <laughs> well, the devil provides it somehow. Okay. It's obtained by the from the devil. It's obtained from the devil. I don't know if he just, like, gives you a bottle, or does he give you instructions? I'm not sure. Um, but anyway, he... Maybe he just provides a bottle of it. <laughs> a jar, I guess. Um, and then you, for example, can presumably, like, rub it on an implement that you wish to fly upon. I don't know if you can rub it on yourself so that you fly. I'm not sh- not clear about this. Okay. Um, there was actually another type of ointment that the devil could provide um, that would turn you into a wolf. Oh. So this is a way of expressing like werewolves. <laughs> okay. Um, I was thinking more like yeah. animagi or something. Um, yes. That's also yeah. similar. Right, because you wouldn't you wouldn't technically be a werewolf because it wouldn't be con- it wouldn't be automatic. Mm-hmm. It's not in you. <laughs> it's not in you. Actually, you have to put on the ointment. So you're right. It's this is more about um, transform transformation. Yeah, but not permanence. Um, so we have this sort of interesting, 
aspect, um, witches could also ride wolves. Um, and it could be a wolf who transformed themselves or just an actual wolf, I guess. Okay. Um, but anyway, witches riding wolves then becomes a kind of um, trope. Um, and Richard Kiekeffer suggests that wolf riding was specifically kind of Swiss. Um, so this is, I think, in the European witch trials. Their foundations in popular and learned culture, 1300 to 1500, by Richard Kiekeffer. Um, yeah. So um, that wolf riding is maybe a very specific kind of Swiss trope. <laughs> um, but uh, there is, in fact, a Swiss canon lawyer, um, Ulrich Molitor, um, who in 1489 publishes um, a book or manuscript, whatever, um, concerning demons and witches. And um, he borrows quite a lot from the Malleus Maleficarum, which is generally known as the Hammer of Witches, which is kind of the best-known treatise on witchcraft. Mm -hmm. um, and it's written really probably by Heinrich Kramer, which is that's who it's known to be written by. Later, uh, Jacob Springer's name gets attached to it. Um, and that's a thing that happens. But anyway, but whether or not okay. he had anything to do with it at all is totally unclear. So we're going to ignore that. Um, but anyway, yeah. So um, Ulrich borrows a lot from um, the Hammer of Witches, Malleus Maleficarum, um, which is from like 1486. Um, and that, yeah, it becomes, it's just, it becomes the bestseller, right? So everybody has one. It's over okay. printed and printed and printed and printed and printed. Um, but uh, Ulrich Molitor does add some new stuff. Right, he is Swiss. He does add some new stuff when it comes to things like witch riding or wolf riding and um, werewolves and some stuff like that. Um, so he introduces this story that probably goes back to like 1423. Um, so there's some there's some fun sources here, by the way. Uh, Charles Zika, The Appearance of Witchcraft, Print and Visual Culture in 16th Century Europe. Um, and Wolves, Witches, and Werewolves. Lycanthropy and Witchcraft from 1423 to 1700 by Davidson and Canino. That's kind of been a fun book to research, honestly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, all of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so there's um, this story, right, um, that Molitor tells from about 1423 that was a sort of local you know, local story about a trial. So there was a trial um, somewhere around Z Zurich. Um, and this is about a witch who rode on an enchanted wolf. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and there was supposedly um, a, in the late 1470s, there was a trial um, where there was an eyewitness account that was given by a peasant at the trial um, that he... And the peasant recorded he'd seen a male witch riding a wolf to Sabbath, meaning, of course, the witch's Sabbath, right? Um, and the accused stated that he himself was the victim of witchcraft and that he had also ridden a wolf, but he'd done this only because he was another, under another witch's spell. Um, and... He sounds like a narc. Yes. I think someone <laughs> definitely gets burnt at the stake. Probably him. <laughs> okay. Um, but anyway, so Molitor, I think, had seen that trial firsthand, um, but had heard about the previous one, right? Which brings us back to sort of Kiekeffer's commentary that Swiss, the Swiss really liked the wolf riding idea. Okay. Um, but you'll notice this was a male witch 
riding a wolf. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, the 14, so this text was reprinted a lot. It was also very popular. Um, the 1495 edition has a woodcut of a male witch riding a wolf. And in fact, apparently, um, this is according to Zika, all of the editions have woodcuts of a male witch riding a wolf, which of course is what the story tells us. Only one edition, which is from Ulm, the Zaner edition from Ulm, has a woodcut of a female witch riding a wolf. Hmm. Um, and Zika's basically like, probably what happened is that all of the others are clearly illustrating that specific story. Whereas the one with the female witch, it sort of reminds us that there's already this turn towards the idea that witches are women. Mm-hmm. And so rather than illustrate that specific story that's about a male witch, the person was more like, meh, witches are female. Here's a female witch riding a wolf. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so that you already start to get that sense of sort of transfer, <laughs> right? That women are witches. So while we've clearly had the fact that men can be, we're starting to shift that. Um, and that's, that's a sort of interesting um, element. Some of the other things you get, uh, the 1493 edition includes a woodcut wood of transformed witches. So, again, like um, humans who have transformed into animals, right? Um, so transformed witches, specifically a donkey, a rooster, and a dog, I think. Um, okay. Who are riding um, a forked stick that might be a cooking fork. But like it's a really it's it looks almost like a broom except where the broom part would be. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a like a two prongs. Okay. But not not like a pitchfork, right? So it's maybe a sort of cooking fork, like which a is to say dowsing stick, kind of like it's a Y shaped stick. Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. But I think the idea is it's it's probably a cooking fork, the sort of thing right you'd use for meat on the mm. fire or something. Oh sure. You know, use it for barbecue today, smaller versions, right? Um, and this is kind of the beginning um, of the sense that implements, again, as part of the transition of women are witches. One of the things that happens is that household items that are associated with women become associated with witchcraft. Mm. Um, so, writing this <laughs> forked fork. stick slash cooking fork, right? Um we start to transition potentially away from wolves. Um, although there are a couple instances, um, Elsie von Meersburg from Lucerne in 1450 is burnt at the stake with her dog and a wolf, or maybe they thought her dog was a wolf. Um, she'd been accused of, of wolf riding and either of having both a dog and a wolf of maybe, maybe of having tr- transitioned her dog into a wolf. And it's unclear. Like, did she have a wolf? Anyway, it was just a very large dog. A little unclear, uh, but that's 1450. And then in 1499, another woman in Lucerne who's accused of being a witch claims she was just taking her dog for a walk. Okay. Um, so you'll notice here, actually, that witches are being associated with dogs, not with cats. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, so that, that's the thing, right? Iconography and stereotypes, they kind of accrue. So we haven't made that switch to cats yet. Mm-hmm. Right? Cats, heretics, cathers, Jews... That part of it hasn't fully come in yet. Okay. Uh, presumably, 
you know, cats are household creatures, but dogs are as well. Um, but maybe in this case, right, dogs are seen as sort of more masculine, right? They're, they go with the master, they hunt. Mm-hmm. So maybe the fact you have a woman with a dog is what's seen as the problem. Maybe women with cats, domestic, catch mice, wasn't seen as a problem yet, right? Until you start to think of cats as being kind of demonic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, then it makes sense. Right. Um, we should also, by the way, mention broom. Um, the, the same object used to also be called the besom. That's B-E-S-O-M. Besom. Okay. Um, but broom is related to sort of Middle High German word for bramble. Um, and it originally meant like a shrub or bramble or something. Right. The types of plants that were used for sweeping. And then eventually it also comes to mean, right, so there are types of plant that are kind of known, like gorse or whatever. They're also known as, like, broom. Oh, okay. <laughs> right? Um, but eventually it becomes known as, like, then it, it becomes also a name for the implement where you gather those plants together and tie them to, like, a stick or handle. And then you have a broom. And use it for sweeping. Yes, yeah. and then you have a broom. So that's where, the, that's where brooms come from. Um, probably one of the reasons it takes them a while to become associated with witches is just it takes them a while to be seen as, like, necessary everyday household items that women use mm-hmm. right um so for example um we have in 1453 um this is a, this is in um Memoris's book um the scourge of witches um guillaume edlin in 1453 confesses witchcraft including to riding a broom so that's something he confesses to um and then we get a great sort of I mean, not great, but <laughs> a source. It's a source. It's a helpful source. We'll put it that way. Um, and this is Pierre Le Broussart, um, who's preaching against the Waldensians, who are heretics. Um, and he's the They'll come up in a future episode, by the way. Yes. Yes. They'll so come up in a future space. episode. Yeah. Um, as will the Cathars, for that matter. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the Waldensians. So again, a whole group of heretics. Um, and there's a whole series of trials against them in Arras. And so here we have the Inquisitor of Arras making a, uh, you know, preaching a sermon against them. And he says <laughs> that they were, among other things, right? So they were carried to the place um, where they ought to make their assembly. Makes it He makes it sound kind of like Witch's Sabbath, right? So <laughs> the place where they make their assembly um, and... There were tables with wine and food, and there they saw a devil in the form of a goat, a dog, a monkey, and sometimes a man, and made offerings and homages to the said devil and adored him. Then they kissed the devil in the form of a goat on the rear, that is, on the tail, with burning candles in their hands. All right. Um, And he also describes a small wooden rod, which the Waldensians smear with ointment, put between their legs, and then carried by the devil fly to their assemblies. So, um, yeah, and there's, um, a picture that depicts, so someone drew a picture (laughs) to go with, you know, a publication of this sermon, um, that depicts two figures riding brooms, one riding a beast and two carried by doubles. Um, and I think this is, um, done by the, or done in the workshop of the master of the Dresden hours. Um, so here we get, uh, this is around... 1470, probably the picture. Um, but Valdensians, specifically connected to heresy, in a way that is absolutely 100% the stereotype that we're going to get for witchcraft, right? 
They are Waldensians accused of heresy, <laughs> not specifically necessarily of witchcraft, mm -hmm. but the picture of them is absolutely what we're going to get connected to witchcraft. Right? right. So the whole idea of like the devil in the form of a goat or a dog or a monkey, these are all things we see later. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes as a man, absolutely. The whole idea of like kissing the goat's tail, the burning candles. We get the ointment here that you smear on the, you know, in this case, it's maybe a, like a stick or something, a rod. So it's not yet a full on broom, but, um, and then they will be carried. But the illustration from like 10 years later does have brooms. Oh, right? okay. Yeah, so two figures riding brooms, one riding a beast, and two just carried by devils. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> um, that's a sort of really interesting moment, right? Um, so the trials for witchcraft in Arras, the Waldensians basically are, right, they're accused of heresy, but really they are also being accused of witchcraft. Mm -hmm. Very much in the way we continue to think of witchcraft, right? So, what is part of their trial at this point, kind of in Arras, becomes very much the stereotype just of witches in general. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, you know, not just the Waldensians. But a lot of this arises in sort of portrayals of the Waldensians, um, which is right. really interesting. Yeah. yeah, what's what's really interesting, I think, is that the Waldensians were essentially sort of um, proto-Protestants. Like, they mm -hmm. were Christian heretics mm -hmm. who were being persecuted for believing Christianity differently from the way the church wanted them to do it, right? So it's not right. like they were outsiders in terms of, nope. you know, having some pagan religion as nope. we often associate with witches. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, the funny thing is, this works much better even than sort of Jews, right? Because on some level, obviously, um... <laughs> Witchcraft, the way we see it, right, particularly with sort of the devil and witches' Sabbath and all this, it's clearly in an inversion of Christian imagery, mm -hmm. right? Um, so if you don't believe in Christianity at all, why would everything you do be an inversion of Christian imagery, right? The devil is the goat and stuff like this, right? Um, why would you ca care? Like, <laughs> why right. would that even be a thing, right? So the idea of, right, of course... Um, it is fair to point out to Wiccans, modern Wiccans, that the word does come from sort of old Germanic and ideas of magic and witchcraft. And of course, they were pagan. <laughs> they were pagan. But they also didn't have witches the way we come to think of witches, which Wiccans aren't necessarily either. But, you know, um, yeah, it is a really sort of interesting um, commentary here. And this is one of these moments. So um, a Flemish artist unknown Flemish artist of a manuscript in 1470 that's now in Oxford um, shows a group of probably, you know, what we'd say are witches, but for various reasons, some of them seem to be Waldensians because of the way they're dressed. Mm -hmm. um, and they're women riding on a number of different sort of domestic tools. So there's a woman riding a distaff, a woman riding a broom, um, and a woman riding a threshing flail. Um, another woman emerges from a chimney. This is the really interesting part, because they're, the whole idea of witches coming out of the chimney, like coming up the chimney, hmm. chimneys are pretty much, I think, at this point, just for Santa Claus. But that yeah. was actually, that actually was a thing, right? That witches could just fly up the chimney. Okay. Um, yeah. 
Um, so, um, anyway, and then on the ground, there's a group of Valdensians on the ground. So these are, those are the people who are flying, right? Someone on a distaff, someone on a broom. Well, they're all women, but on a broom and then on a threshing flail, woman coming out of a chimney. Um, and then on the ground, there's a group of Valdensians just standing on the ground. So they've clearly like already arrived and landed and surrounding them are a pair of tongs, a broom, a staff, right? So, um, presumably stuff that they rode and have already arrived and they're there. Um, and so you do have, you do have seen the sense that, uh, this is sort of women. At this point, it's still this idea that as we're starting to think of it as really women and predominantly women, mm. that household items then, household items that are associated with women are here being sort of inverted, right? Women are supposed to use these to keep the house clean and watch the kids and whatever. Um, and they're, you know, perverting their use for power and whatever. <laughs> Right? By flying on them, essentially. Um, It's weird. I mean, it's probably somewhat intentional, but also weird that all of these are, like, I don't know, long, thin objects, and nobody, like, anoints a chair or something. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Which you'd think would be more comfortable. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right? Again, a commentary on women in power. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, We should also point out in Sweden... I just want to get him in here. Um, Albert the painter, also um, Albertus Pictor, whose dates are kind of 1440 to yeah, 15, early 1500s, 07 or something. Um, he is actually seen in the seventh seal by Bergman, painting the painting that inspired Bergman to make the seventh seal, which is to say wow. <laughs> that That's meta. in, um, yeah, yes, in Tabby, in Tabby Kirka, so church, Tabby church, um, there's a painting of someone playing chess with the devil. And this was painted by Albertus Pictor. And Bergman saw it hundreds of years later <laughs> and was like, huh. So he, so in the seventh seal, we see him painting it. Yeah. Um, but anyway, he, in other churches, um, he or his workshop, you know, we never quite know. Um, sometime before 1480, <laughs> um, completed some images for example three witches riding a rake a broom and a spade um so there you go again right Mm -hmm. the broom is always in there but it's not the only thing this is more um gardening people who do gardening yeah which again right a woman's supposed to keep the garden right raise Mm -hmm. and that of course brings us to the whole idea of this fear of witches poisoning food Mm -hmm. right poisoned apples poisoned right um, again, the fear of women getting out of place, right? Doing things they shouldn't be doing. This is where the cauldron comes from. It's the iron pot that you used to cook in the Middle Ages. Like, that's what everything went into over the fire, and then you ate it, sure. right? And so the the fear that women would pervert it or distort it, put things in there that the man wouldn't know, right? Harm the little children, right? Um, so a lot of this is very clearly you see this start to accrue, this fear of women doing things they shouldn't be doing. Right. Women maybe getting power that they shouldn't be having. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, yeah. There's another fun image that Zika mentions from the 1530s. Um, that's a illustration of um, a story from the Golden Ass, Apuleius Golden Ass, where the Thessalian sorcerer Meroe is riding through the sky on an enormous, Zika calls it a spatula, which seems fair. It's basically like what you use for a pizza oven. Like mm-hmm. a big wooden paddle. <laughs> oh, 
A pizza right? peel, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so she's flying through the air on that. Um, yeah, so it's this great sense, right, that brooms, it takes a while for brooms to become the definitive things connected to women um, out of all of these household objects, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it, the cauldron, um, it's really the sphere of women starting to get out of place to leave their place. And um, that's where you also then get things like the fear of stuff like a poisoned apple, right? That women are growing their gardens, right? And they're somehow adulterating the food and stuff. And we can call back to stuff we've talked about before, women as alewives, right? The fear that they're like maybe adulterating their ale, right? With like hops. <laughs> In that yes. case, it wasn't so much that they were poisoning you, but that they were putting things in that they shouldn't be, you know, and trying to cheat you and stuff like that. So, yeah, you see this sense, right, as women, because, you know, there are these periods of history where women gain power. They have certain types of power. You have women in power. I mean, you have women who are queens or duchesses or whatever. And so then this fear of what what women are doing. And it is worth pointing out, again, that this happens at the end of the Middle Ages, presumably as a sort of attempt to correct a lot of what's gone on during the Middle Ages, which is that women have done a lot of stuff. There are a lot of women doing a lot of things. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's a sort of um, rebuttal to that in some ways, right? And so the fact that then it reappears, um, of course, in New England at a time when settlements are new and people are scared, (laughs) Um, or even that it reappears sort of in, you know, movies, right, Um, at points when this question of, like, what are women supposed to be doing, right? Yeah. (laughs) The 20th century is a big moment for like are women supposed to be working or they're not supposed to be working right so of course witches are really a big deal right it's Mm -hmm. the symbol um yeah and that is sort of what happened to them right they start with these other groups like jews and heretics right who start to you know the, the symbols associated with those groups start to accrue eventually to women who are basically getting out of line yeah and that is how we get the modern witch with her pointy hat and her broom and her cauldron, and her, you know, poisoned fruit. Mm-hmm. Also, just the fact, you know, it's always like fruit and somehow. Her, yeah. And <laughs> you can grow cat. fruit. But if you want to keep a yes. dog, that's okay, too. Yes. Yeah. But Clearly. make sure it's a large, wolfy dog. Right. I'm going to say that, um, you know, German shepherds, very Ooh, yes. uh, witchy dogs. Yes. Or maybe an Akita, that type of. Yes. Yeah. Go big. Yeah. Yes. That's my advice. Yeah. I gotta say, nobody <laughs> talks about what happens when the dog sheds all over your clothes. Or the cat, mm. for that matter. Yeah. This seems not to... I, I suppose the magic takes care of it. <laughs> I... Okay, I'm gonna guess that's just why witches wear black, and they're always depicted with black cats. Is that then you won't right. see the fur. Black and black. There you go. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yay! Well, uh, happy Halloween, everyone. I think we're going to leave it there. Thank you for talking to me, Jesse, And thank you, everyone, for listening. You can rate and review us on whatever podcast app you happen to enjoy. You can check us out on Facebook or at our website, which are both Ask a Medievalist. Uh, we tweet on Twitter at Ask a Medievalist. And uh, we shall meet again in thunder, lightning, or in rain. Uh, 
next, probably not next week, probably the week after with another exciting episode of Ask a Medievalist. So until then, keep washing your hands and keep it medieval. Ask a Medievalist is a production of This Can't Be That Hard Studios and is not endorsed, acknowledged, or condoned by Virginia Commonwealth University or any of its constituent departments. Our theme music is Veni Veni Venias from Carmina Burana by Carl Orff, performed by the MIT Concert Choir and licensed under a Creative Commons Attributional Non-Commercial License version 3.0. If you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, why not tell a friend? For more on today's topic, including sources, annotations, and corrections, visit our website at www.askamedievalist.com. And if you have questions, feel free to drop us an email at questions at askamedievalist.com. 